Um, just wanted to give you, a, before some other people come up and talk, I just wanted to give you a little idea of the, quote, nuts and bolts of what went on and what Joni and friend, Johnny and Friends is. And uh, basically, there was, uh, there was six, before I get started, there was 16 of us, as you know, that went from our church. And uh, Johnny and Friends Disability Camp, it's for families with kids, obviously, with uh, disabilities. And it was started by Johnny Erickson Tata. And who she is, is she is a Christian author and a radio host. And she is disability from the shoulders down. I guess when she was 18, she dived in a swimming pool that wasn't deep enough. So is how it happened. So, And uh, Joni and friends, they have disability camps all over the world. But they have about 20 or 25 in the United States. And they're all, they, they're all over the, the country in different states, depending on the time of year. And they have about 20 or 25 in the U.S. from April to October. And what their vision is, when I say they, I'm referring to Johnny and friends. Uh, what their vision is, is to encourage Christian ministry in the disability community, but also to multiply disability to multiply disability effective churches, so and to make churches more aware and to develop programs within the church, disability programs. Um, then your the next question that I wanted to just touch on is what is a disability camp? Um, what it is is it's a chance to minister and support families with members who have disabilities. And when we say disabilities, this might be um, autism, it might be Down, Down syndrome, uh, it might be a physical disability. And that's just an example of what it can be. Uh, and the eight, there is no age limit in the regard. There was, there was people with disabilities there that were age six and seven years old. There were people there with Down syndrome that were in their 40s. So, uh, and then the, the camp that we were at for the week, oh, of course, like I said, it's Christian-centered, and their Bible verse that was their focus for the week, their theme, you might say, was Romans fifteen thirteen, and I would like to read that to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As far as what our group of 16, what our daily schedule was there, as far as act, act this, at this actual camp, is we had a day and a half of training before the families came, and uh, each of us was assigned to a particular disability person. And then we would stay with this person all week. And there was 56 families that came in, and some of these families had two disability kids. For example, I, the family I work with had two autistic boys. Um, you realize what the parents have for a commitment when you see that. So, And then um, as far as what our group would do that week, we would eat breakfast and lunch with the families. And then in the mornings, uh, we would take care of our assigned person our assigned individual, and then in the mornings when we had them, it was basically like a Bible school format where we would have a period of game time 
we would have a period of Bible study, and then we'd have a little period of crafts and activities, that type of thing. And then, uh, the, and then in the mornings, the parents would be in a different area, and then they would have uh, go listen to a speaker in the sanctuary, or they would just have some alone time because they don't get alone time when you have disability kids. Doesn't happen. So uh, then in the afternoons, uh, us people that were they called us STMs. I suppose I should touch on that. That'd make it easier. Easier, which stands for short-term missionary. So that's what us 16 were called was STMs. So then in the afternoon, us. STMs would spend the time with the family on the campgrounds, and then we would go through different activities. Uh, it might be horseback riding. It might be boating. They had zip line. They had a pool. And then, uh, in, the af and then in the evenings, we would also do activities with the families, except for one night, us, the, us STMs had to take the person we were assigned with take care of them for the evening so the parents could have a date night. And then in their date night, of course, they had a formal meal and uh, listened to a speaker. So there was a lot of interaction between us and the families. And just in closing here, I just wanted to emphasize again that what this camp was about was a Christ-centered encouragement, encouragement for the families, especially the parents, because when you have a parent of a dis when you're a parent of a disability person, it can be pretty overwhelming, and it's 24 hours a day, and you don't just drop them off at the regular babysitter, that type of thing. And again, this was just a Christ-centered encouragement for the families, especially the parents. Thank you. All right, as Jess said, we were involved in a day and a half of training. And during that training, um, we were introduced to the table that's behind me, which is um, a table talking about the five stages of disability awareness. And while they talked to us about um, the different stages, we were asked to individually think about which stage we were in and then also what stage our church was in. So I just ask that you think the same as, you're, as I'm going through the five different stages. And just a side note, there's copies of this table located on the back table. There are blue sheets if you would like to take one with you. So the first stage located on the left-hand side is called ignorance. I believe this is what our world's view is of people with disabilities. Um, they believe that people in the ignorance stage believe that weaknesses and disabilities are a sign that God doesn't care or is not able to fix the situation. Ignorant people believe that God can't use people who are so broken. Our second stage is pity, which is where I've spent most of my life and probably where most of you have spent most of your life. In this stage, you recognize that we are so blessed by God and that we can help each other. We are grateful that our ch children are not disabled. We feel bad for people with disabilities. And we use phrases like, I feel so bad for them. Our third stage is caring. In caring, we recognize that people with disabilities were created in God's image. Therefore, we recognize that they have value. We hope that someone will help people with disabilities and show them God's love. And we would gladly support someone doing this, but we don't actually do it ourselves. Matthew 25, verse 40, is a great example of this. It says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Stage four is friendship. This is when you put your words and your feelings into action. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 1, verse 27 shows friendship. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You spend time with someone who has a disability in this stage. You recognize that person has value in God's sight, but also in your life. You recognize that you have been able to bless this person, but they have also blessed you in return. The final stage is called co-laborers. 
Once we reach this stage, we recognize that together we will encourage and equip each other in every good work to respond to God's calling on our lives. We can all give and we can all receive. John 9, 3 says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Before I attended Johnny and Friends, um, I would say that I was in the pity stage. I would feel bad when I would see a person with disabilities. However, I wouldn't act on my feelings. Um, while at Johnny and Friends, we all reached the friendship stage or maybe even into that co-laborer stage of walking alongside these people. Since returning, I have seen a dramatic change in my attitude. I've been working part-time at Iowa Falls State Bank this summer, and we have customers that come in who have disabilities. Before I went to Johnny and Friends, I just would have thought, oh, I feel so bad for that person. They're a nice person, but I just feel bad for them. Since then, my actions are the same. I still treat them with the same amount of respect, but my heart is a lot different. I care for these people, and I don't pity them anymore. We all know from that video that they were created in God, God's image exactly how he wanted them to be. So, as I said before, this is a good chance for you to think to yourself, where are you at the stage? Do you want to make them, which stage you're in, if you want to make some action steps to go further on the scale? And what stage do you think our church is in? I'm just going to share a little bit about my experience as an STM, short-term missionary. Um, when we first got our packets to be, uh, we were actually approved, and we got our packets in the mail. I was going through the material, and I was reading through, and the very top of the first page, it said uh, something that caught my eye. It said, if you remember nothing else, and then in parentheses it said, besides the arrival time, with a smiley face, remember this. Uh, in capital letters it said, this week is about serving. And so... As I was thinking about going, and I wanted God to try to prepare me for this by showing me scriptures that might have to do with what I might need or where I might need to be for the week. The first one was Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And through maybe devotions and maybe sermons and different things, I made little notes in this book. Um, and I said a great reminder today that my cross is not what is ailing me, but it is about my attitude about what is ailing me. No complaints, no grumbling, no disputes, no murmurings, no anxieties, no worries, no resentments, no hint of a raging torrent of bitterness. These are the things I need to die daily to, and sometimes die by the minute to. The second one was First Chronicles 28.9. Acknowledge the God of your Father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. So I knew by that I needed to definitely take God along and I needed to put myself last behind these people. So I still felt very inadequate the first day or two I'd gotten there. It was, it was hard. It was really hard to... Um, do it, I think, the physical trip and all that, but I kept getting back to these verses, and God would help remind me of what, what I really needed to do, and that was just to trust in Him, and He would take care of it. Um, and the neatest thing, I think, is that God um, had been preparing me for a long time. I didn't even know it. Even before I knew about this trip, He had been preparing me for it, which was pretty neat. I had earlier this year had been going through some back and neck problems and so I went to the chiropractor and through all of his treatments things started to get better but he suggested possibly doing some light weight training and so I started doing that and then adding weights every week and I was getting stronger and stronger and and then what happened when I got to camp I met my camper Colin he was 16 years old 
Um, he has a wonderful family, his parents. Um, he had a twin brother who had the exact same disability. It's something like cerebral palsy, but it's a, in a little different category. But he died in his sleep at 13, so that was three years ago, and his family had come back camp, and that really caught me. But, but what God had prepared me for was I had this 70, 170 probably pound 16-year-old that I pushed up and down ramps and went through lots of double doors that didn't have the luxury of a push button um, um, to get through the doors. And so God was right there reminding me. He was with me, and he had already been preparing me for this before I even went on the trip. One um, struggle that I had uh, among many was um, my heart. And some of you know that I have been dealing with some heart issues. And I had this monitor, I had patches and wires, and I had a little um, thing in my pocket, and I always had to carry this monitor around with me. So I tried not to focus on it, and I kept going back to these verses, you know, deny yourself, Lord, you're teaching me here. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And then God reminded me through some of our devotion times, um, everybody shared a lot during our devotion times, that I really didn't need to be worrying about my heart. I needed to be worrying about my spiritual heart, not my physical heart, and how God was working in it. And some verses that came to mind with the heart were Psalm 51.10, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And Ezekiel 32.26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So just that reminder of somebody else telling me, um, just reminding me that I needed to let God hone and carve and take all the ickiness out of my heart, my spiritual heart, so that I could really love on these people and show them God's heart. And um, I just um, want to tell you that I'm so grateful to all of you. Um, this is a community of believers. We all help each other. That was kind of one of our focuses this week. Is um, it's, it's all about the community of the people being together and serving. And our group of 16, they were so encouraging to me. I think we really lifted each other up. And I think as a whole group, we did the same in the, in the camp. And I just want to thank you for being the senders and being the prayers and, and your hearts that joined with our hearts as we worked this week. One of the beautiful things about our experience was comprehending new aspects to very familiar scriptures. So consider this one on the screen. And, and notice that I emphasized a few of the portions of the scripture. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I went to Michigan feeling like I kind of had this disability awareness thing down. I mean, I respect persons with disabilities. We have experience with our family and in friendships accepting and loving people with special needs. But does my experience of the body of Christ include valuing and giving great honor to those who might be viewed as the weaker members in our community? That challenged me, and 
as Kathy said, we kind of had a glimpse of the body of Christ really operating the way this scripture um, gives us a view of. A couple of other truths that really held new meaning in my heart as the week progressed, one that's already been talked about as well, is that God created humans in his likeness and said, it is very good. God did not say, some people are created the way I intended and others have flaws. Also, as we saw in the video of Psalms 139, God knew each of us before we were born. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. We are each fearfully and wonderfully made. So we were reminded that our sovereign God is not surprised or disappointed when one of his children is born with what we have called special needs. The truth is, we all have special needs and we all have disabilities. In our team of 16, we had represented several um, significant physical challenges and um, other needs, and we kept raising those up in prayer and were reminded of that fact. But even more central and profound to me is that we share a major heart issue that is more significant than any physical or mental concern. In fact, those of us who consider ourselves not to have special needs might underestimate our huge special need for our hearts to be repaired. Here's the crux of that heart issue. And I know many of you could quote this from memory. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My heart issue, separation from God because of my sin, is much more of a concern than any physical disability any of our campers had. In fact, because of the heart issue I share with all of you and all of those campers and their families, we are much more the same than we are different. Praise be to God that the very next verse from his word includes these words. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the answer to that heart issue that we all share. So to share a little bit more about my experience and some of these truths and how they hit me, I'd like to share a little bit about my new sweet friend, Lauren. You're going to see her picture on the screen. Lauren knows Jesus. She's 13 years old, and she lives in Wheaton, Illinois. She has a job. And she's active in her church. In fact, she leads worship in a praise band playing percussion. Lauren understands concepts like grace and redemption. Her soul is not at all impaired. Yes, she does have physical and learning challenges. She has cerebral palsy, which imposes many limitations. And yet, Lauren is strong in many ways. She works very hard to build strength and be responsible for herself as much as possible. As we got to know each other and had a lot of fun together, I grew to admire and care for her so much. She is fun and funny and happy, and she is healthy in the ways that really matter. Lauren's soul is well. Her relationship with Jesus is sound. Her understanding of God's sovereignty and her eternal destiny are secure. Her heart condition has been healed, and that's what matters. Me? I learned a lot through my friendship with Lauren and the experiences that our whole team shared together. I was reminded again that even though my heart issue has been healed by God's grace, it is still subject to being filled with mistaken views and judgmental thoughts. I am guilty of not embracing the whole body of Christ and of mentally classifying others as being different from me. I'm thankful that God opened my eyes to those lingering heart impairments that I've lived with. Another convicting point that God challenged me to think through was that some of the, the very attributes that I have considered gifts or abilities have been a bigger hindrance to my dependence on him. 
and Lauren's disabilities had been to her. We prayed as a group from the beginning of our time together that we would be changed through this experience. And I think all of us would say, amen. Thank you, Jesus. We were. Through this amazing opportunity to give and serve with our brothers and sisters in Christ, like my friend Lauren. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, I'm going to first tell you about my camper. Um, it'll kind of set the stage for my, my talk. Uh, I had the pleasure of being with a sweet girl named Janet. She is 17 with the mental age of around a one-year-old. She was born, quote, normal and came down with a horribly severe case of chicken pox at about nine months old. Her pox became infected, which caused sepsis to take over her body and almost killed her. It affected her brain and caused her to be stuck mentally at her age of nine months. But physically, she continued to grow. She doesn't speak or even understand really much of anything, as far as they can tell. Um, she is in a wheelchair, but can walk a little ways with assistance. Oh, sorry. Um, okay, so when I first heard about this mission trip, I immediately decided I was going. This was my thing, and it would be easy for me, is what I was imagining. I've had experience with kids with disabilities in my daycare and other places and in the schools. In fact, I had gone um, on a couple respite weekend retreats because in college I was minoring in severe and profound special education. Um, God has always given me a heart for people with any form of disabilities, so I figured I got this. But God didn't want me to feel I got this or even comfortable. I can honestly tell you, after reading about Janet and seeing a picture of her, I wasn't comfortable. I had gone into the week picturing who my buddy would be and what disability he or she would have, that he or she would be energetic and running all over and very animated and talkative. My controlling aspects were putting this picture in my head because of my experience and because of all I am involved in with kids and that I do daycare. But when I read Janet's profile, to be honest, I kind of sunk and was a bit down and sad. I was thinking, what are we going to do with each other? And what can I possibly say that she will understand? I was being selfish and fearful that I wouldn't do this right or be good enough at it or even enjoy it. But I was supposed to feel that I wouldn't do it right or be good at it. God doesn't want us to have comfort zone. He wants us to be able to keep on glorifying him even when we aren't comfortable. God was working in and through those feelings to review my control nature and selfish issues. As I read the first paragraph of our manual, as short-term missionaries, God spoke to me through it. It read, regardless of the age of serving your camper, regardless of the age of your camper, you are the one who makes a difference for them while they're at camp. The daily programs are designed for them to have fun, learn, hear about God, experience things they would not normally be able to do, and be loved just for who they are. All you need is a contagious, positive attitude, enthusiasm, and energy. This week is not about you, but about your ability to get outside your comfort zone, to give wholeheartedly to the camper and to their family. I literally just wanted to slap myself for the things I was thinking, and thinking that I couldn't be what God wanted to be, wanted me to be with Janet. Um, and I realized God put Janet and I together for a very special reason and purpose. I 
totally had a change of heart about what my week with Janet could look like and how I could make it wonderful for her and her family and how to communicate with her. After all, I communicate on a daily basis and have, and have done so for 20 years with infants and toddlers who can't speak, but we have our own ways of communicating with each other, so I use that. This is exactly what God allowed Janet and I to do. We had our own form of communicating with each other. She would lock her eyes on my eyes and just stare into mine. She would turn to my voice when she heard it. She would make sweet, happy giggles when I was doing something she liked, like feeding her. She loved to eat. <laughs> she would give me these huge smiles. She even one time whipped her arm up and around while I was standing up singing and grabbed my hand. Most of these, her parents said, weren't things Janet normally did with people she didn't know very long. They said she really liked me and felt comfortable with me. God knew what he was doing when he guided those who did the matching of Buddy. God wanted me to trust in him, and once I did, he allowed my relationship, Janet, and her family to be amazing. He guided me to know how to handle the week and what to say and what to do with Janet. These verses just emphasize what can happen if we put our trust in him. Psalm 32, 8 through 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Okay, I also want to share how God gave me a new sense of appreciation and humility. Before our mission week, I thought about kids and their disabilities, and not so much the parents and the siblings of these kids. This is Janet's incredible family, who kept trying to serve me all week. I had to keep reminding them I was there to serve Janet and them. Watching all four of them with Janet was amazing, and they all took their turns to care for her and to assist me on the things I wasn't allowed to do myself, things they do every day, all day, and all night, and have been doing so for the last 17 years, like change her diaper, which isn't easy changing a 17-year-old. They don't make changing tables that big. And changing her clothes, helping her walk, feeding her water through a tube in her stomach because she can't swallow liquid, sponge her mouth out after every meal, deal with multiple seizures a day and overnight, guard her while she's sleeping, and so many, many more things that so naturally they so naturally do and without complaining. I only humbled myself for not even 12 hours a day with Janet to help them change her and help them walk her, and I fed her every meal and made sure she was safe when they weren't around. I wiped her drool falling from her lips every few minutes. And most of all, to love her when many wouldn't or know how to. And that I did. God showed me her. God showed me humility after watching what this family goes through 24 hours every single day and have been for the last 17 years and will do for so many more years to come. Also, how much they work together as a family to help each other out. I grew to love Janet so much and can't believe I ever had the thought that I did in the beginning. In her entire family, I love them too. They will forever be a part of my life. God has created a bond with us. We email back and forth a lot, and one of the last ones they wrote, they told me how since the retreat, they have noticed Janet having more emotions than she did before the retreat. They have said they are thankful to God that Janet and I were chosen to be buddies together. I am so thankful to God as well, and also for the things he grew in me as a result of glorifying him through su serving this super family. I want to close with this verse, Psalm 69, 32. When the humble see it, 
they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. I want to challenge you all, when you see people who have disabilities, see them with new revived hearts. Don't turn from them. Um, on the trip that I went on, I saw a lot of things, and I learned a lot of things, and I experienced a lot of things. Uh, my camper's name was Diamond, uh, and she, her personality matched her name. She just was this spitfire little girl, and um, we had a lot of fun together. Um, but I'm going to talk about how my week impacted me and how um, it changed my attitude towards people with disabilities. I was the youngest person on the team, the only one still in high school. I'll be a junior this year. Um, and so I was at a little different spot in life, and um, I have a, a different exposure to people with disabilities. I go to school with them, and I have classes with them. I am around them every day during the school year. Uh, and then when I went to Johnny Camp, I was surrounded by all these teenagers who just had this great attitude towards people with disabilities and um, who just loved them and wanted to serve them and were, most of them were in that co-laborer stage. Um, and then I thought to myself back home how I'm not around that at all. And people in my high school have the attitude toward people with disabilities of annoyance and ignorance and um, superiority that uh, they're above people with disabilities and that um, they can make fun of them and um, use words that are disrespectful towards them. And that really impacted me. I was laying in my bed one night and I just started crying because I didn't want that to be the way that I thought of people with disabilities. And so um, back home now, I have tried to think of ways to spread that co-laborer attitude in my school and um, just around my friends. And so um, one way that I do that is by just speaking about people with disabilities. And so we were taught in training uh, using people first uh, words. So instead of saying the autistic boy, you would say the boy with autism. Um, and that is one way that it's just a small change, but it can make the largest impact to somebody with a disability um, because you're recognizing them as a person before their disability. Um, so just little things like that I've tried to implement in my life and in my friend's life and just uh, my schoolmate's life. And so as I go back to school, uh, I'm going to try and love these people with disabilities the way that God would want me to and um, try and show them that there is hope and it's overflowing um, and just set an example and um, just try and change the way that people view um, high schoolers with disability in my school. <clears throat> okay, so we were supposed to take about five minutes each, um, and I told these guys that I would try and adjust and flex and um, adjust the length of what I'm going to say based on how long they took. And so I've been sitting there furiously crossing out stuff that I was going to talk about. <clears throat> and what I have left is this. In conclusion, no, it's, it's, it's not quite that bad. Um, but, but my job, I guess, is to sort of wrap this thing up and try and put a bow on it. I can imagine all of you um, sitting out there saying, well, you know, isn't that nice? You guys went, you did this, you had a good time, you met some wonderful people, you 
um, made new friends. That's just really nice. But what does that mean for our church? And the honest answer is I don't know. Um, but I would like to take a couple minutes here to explore that with you. So to that end, um, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture. This is from chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel. And the chapter opens with Jesus dining at the home of a rich Pharisee. Um, and that sort of leads into the whole chapter being about a banquet and about dining and about feasts and so on. Uh, Jesus tells the story of the wedding feast, and then he talks about that we should take the position of least importance when we're invited to banquets. And that leads to this exchange that starts in verse 15. So um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Um, okay, that, I have a little, I have an aside there. As a farmer, um, I can just tell you that anyone who buys a field without first seeing it is a fool. Don't ask me how I know that. Okay, so the guy says, I bought a field and I must go see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master and the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done, but still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. <clears throat> that, that really hit me hard. Um, we are supposed to be going to the blind and the crippled and the lame and the poor and compelling them to come in. And so I thought about that word, and I, you know, I went, okay, wh what, what exactly did Jesus mean by compel? So I did a little research on that word. And in the original Greek that Luke wrote this in, um, the word that's translated here, compel, is pronounced anankazo, which means nothing to any of us, or I assume it could mean nothing to me. Um, but I think understanding its meaning is important or significant to us here. The definition, uh, according to Strong's Bible Concordance, the definition of the word anankazo is to compel or constrain with great urgency as a pressing matter a pressing necessity, to compel or constrain with great urgency as a pressing necessity. This word or its various forms or tenses occurs nine times in the New Testament. And in different English translations and in different places, those various tenses or forms of the word are translated as compel, compelled, required, made, forced, or make. So that's a strong word that Jesus was using there. Compel, require, force, make. And so I thought, you know, I considered some of the other words that he could have used in this situation. He could have said ask, but he didn't. He could have said suggest, but he didn't. He could have said invite. He could have said offer, but he didn't. He could have used words like hint or suggest or propose. 
He could have said request or implore or plead or even beg, but he didn't. He said compel. And if I'm going to take Jesus at his word, I think I need to consider whether I am compelling people. Am I going out into the streets and the alleyways and the highways and the hedges? And am I seeking out the blind and the lame, people with disabilities, and compelling them to come in? Are we as a church going out into the streets and the alleyways and the highways and the hedges and seeking out people with disabilities and handicaps, and are we compelling them to come in? Should we be? I think Jesus said we should in this scripture. So, with that, let's continue our morning worship service with the taking of our offering. Thank you all very much.